Well, this morning we're concluding the second kind of major section in the Gospel according to John. Now, if you haven't been with us for the along the, the whole ride with us here through the Gospel of John, I'm going to briefly catch you up and just... And this is helpful for all of us to kind of know where we're at because we're kind of at a transition spot in the Gospel of John today. But the the purpose of John, you remember John chapter 20, verse 31, we've said it over and over again. John tells us why he wrote these 21 chapters in this Gospel account because other people had written Gospel accounts by the time John wrote his. And he says, there's all kinds of other things I could have written. In fact, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they've written about other aspects. But here, these things, the things that I've chosen to write, I've written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living, and, uh, living God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And so he wants us to see Jesus. And so he's recorded for us these graphic pictures. And we'll talk about kind of the structure of the book. But he, he wants to see Christ so that we would believe in Him, trust in Him, and trusting Him have Eternal, abundant life in Christ. So see, believe, live. That's what's represented by the graphic behind me here. So, so there's clear organization, though, to how John has written his gospel account and, and, and his account of the life of Jesus. It starts with a brief uh, prologue, a little introduction, and then he ends with a, another brief epilogue conclusion to the, to the gospel of to his gospel account. But in between, there are these three major sections in the gospel of John. The first section covers the first 12 chapters of the book. And, and I, I, we've called this the signs of Jesus. Remember, there are those seven signs, or seven miracles that John records for us um, that show us who Jesus is, why he came, and just the, these, these miracles just un, unpack for us and so that we can see Christ. Again, that's John's purpose in writing, and that seeing him will believe in him and have life in his name. So, so that's, that, that, in those first 12 chapters, that covers three years of Jesus' life. So, so, so I, I, last Sunday, I finished preaching here. And I don't like doing this, but it just, I couldn't find, figure out the flights. My family is still in Texas. They're supposed to be home Friday, coming back tomorrow now. Um, but I blitzed out there. I blitzed to the airport uh, last Sunday, right after I finished preaching. Got on a plane, flew to West Texas, to Lubbock, Texas. And then I rented a car and drove out to the ranch where Brooke's family is. Her dad was about to have surgery. And and I was going to help with the kids for a few days. And so, so I'm, I was out there last a week ago driving on these West Texas roads. And you're going, the speed limit on these little two-lane highways between towns is 75 miles per hour. So I was going 75 miles per hour, right? Something like that. So I'm, I'm flying down these, these, this highway, and there's nothing out there. You're not passing cars. It's just, it's just open, open country. And then you come to a town, though, and you, you know, woo, slow down, and it's 35 miles per hour for this little small town. And they're neat little towns, and a lot of these are old, you know, kind of western towns. For example, there's a town called Spur. That's a good Texas town name. And you could tell this used to be a, a, a really neat place. Beautiful old homes, but most of them are, have deteriorated. And, and, and there's a little movie theater in town. It has the marquee. Of course, it's not open. It hasn't been open for probably decades. And, and you can just see this vision of what this town used to be, though. So it's probably a real hub for that West Texas area. And, but anyway, you're, you're, so, you're, so the first 12 chapters of John, we're going 75 miles per hour. No twist. No, we're just flying. And we're, we're getting a fast 
view and just kind of seeing these big signs and seeing the, the big picture. Then we, boom, we got to John 13 and we slowed down. And we're, and now, and so for the last several weeks in John 13 to 17, the, what I call the secrets of Jesus, we, we're, we're, we're now covering a period of three hours. In, in several chapters, we're talking a, 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 of roughly three hours in, in Jesus' life. So Jesus spends his final night before his crucifixion with his inner circle of, of closest friends, the, the apostles, the 11 remaining apostles. He's going to be crucified the next day. And so he spends this last night teaching them in private, not public, but he's talking to his inner circle. And, 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 and so he tells them and, and us, because it's recorded for us, he gives us a greater understanding of really who he is. He slows down and really begins to unfold for us what he came for, what his mission was, who he is, who the Father is, what the Spirit is going to do. And so we, we get to slow down and we get to really kind of absorb what's around us here for, for that time. So that's the second section. That's where we've been in for the last several weeks and we're going to conclude that today. And then the third section, chapters 18 to 20, we call the, the sufferings of Jesus, and or we could say the success of Jesus. We're going to talk about, his, it's going to record for us his passion, the, his suffering, his crucifixion, his resurrection. And so that's what we'll begin looking at next week, and that will cover about three days of Jesus' life. And so that's a broad sweep of the Gospel of John. Today our focus is on the last chapter of that second section, the the secrets of, of Jesus. This whole chapter, John 17, is a prayer. And we said this, we've said this the last few weeks, where we have an opportunity to eaves, eavesdrop on God talking to God, God the Son talking to God the Father in prayer. And, and, and so it, it, in this prayer, we really do get to, in, in alignment with Jesus, or with John's purpose in writing, we really get to see Jesus here. We, we, get to, we get to see the longings of the Son of God. We get to see the very heartbeat of Christ. What matters most to Him as He t- turns to the Father again right before He's going to be crucified. And He expresses this prayer to the Father. And so if you want to know what Jesus is like, if you want to know what God's like, what He, what he wants, what He longs for, then John 17 is a fantastic place to go, as we've seen. And so in this prayer, he, 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 he's praying, and he, he prays to, the, to his Father. He prays for himself in verses 1 to 5, and the essence of this glory. It's glorify me, that the Son may glorify you, Father. And then he prays for the apostles, those men in the room with him that night. And then he prays for us, for all believers in every age. And that's been mentioned already this morning. Verse 20, he prays for those who will believe in me through their word, through the apostles' word. And as Tim read this passage, and as has been mentioned this morning, the central thrust of this final prayer for us, for all believers in every age, is very clear. He's praying for unity. Praying for oneness. See, in verse 21, his desire is that they may all be one. Verse 22, that they may be one. Verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. So, so that's Christ's prayer. For us. Shouldn't that be our prayer for one another? If this was Jesus' desire, shouldn't we share that impulse? Shouldn't we labor to promote this kind of oneness and unity in the church? I mean, everybody wants to see unity in the church, right? I've never met a Christian who said that that they, they, they were happy about all division that existed in a church or something like that. It was just a wonderful place to be. 
If division in the church doesn't grieve your soul, there's something wrong with you. And so we should strive for unity. We should pray for unity as Christ did. But but we must pursue and pray for the right kind of unity. And we'll see that this morning. And, and, And to do it in the right way. There's a certain kind of unity that Jesus is praying for. It's not just any old generic unity. I mean, this is, as you can imagine, this is a favorite proof text for those that are really... Uh, trumpeting the ecumenical movement. Ecumenism is just, it's just it's trying to get all kinds of Christian sects and groups, anybody who even wears the label of Christian or thinks anything positive about Jesus, that we just got to come together. This is what Jesus would want. Just kind of lay aside all our differences and just, just come together. And that's what Jesus is praying for. So trying to tear down walls between all kinds of, you know, quote, Christian groups. And so you have trying to bring evangelicals and Roman Catholics back together, and even trying to link arms with other religions that are kind of favorable towards Jesus, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and on and on. And, and, or encouraging the breakup of denominations, having one world denomination that we all, uh, and so there's a world council of churches. And that, 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 but that's, that's, that's been tried, <laughs> and it didn't work out very well. It's called the Middle Ages. And so, so it's not, that's not, that's not what he's talking about. But some are hungry for unity, and that's a good, and that's a commendable impulse, but they're willing to pursue it at all costs. And so they end up settling for a kind of unity that's, that looks nothing like the unity Christ prayed for and longed for. So we, so we, need, to, we need to see. There's, there's a different kind. It will be clear that by the end, this is not the kind of unity Jesus is praying for, that kind of ecumenism. But, but our focus isn't going to be on what oneness is not. And I, it was interesting just to read commentaries and to even and to kind of listen to a couple sermons on, I've, I've listened to some sermon series on John 17. And, and when you get to these verses, it, it's, easy to, it's easy to focus on what it's not and to really kind of speak against ecumenical movement. But then you really never say what, what it is. Jesus isn't praying for something not to happen. He's praying for something to happen. So we, wanna, we want our focus to be on the kind of unity that Jesus does want, and we want to set it out in that positive way. And so, so in order for unity to exist, there's got to be something that unifies, a unifying agent. We need glue to hold us together. And the, and the unifying agent, the glue, will determine the strength and the depth of that bond. And so there's, there's different ways to bond two materials together. You could, you know, chew a piece of gum and, and hold two pieces of paper together, but that's not that strong of a bond. Um, but you could, you could get your MIG welder out and you could weld two pieces of metal together. Well, that's a, that's a much stronger bond. So not all bonds, not all unity is the same, and it has to do with whatever the, the glue, the unifying agent is. And so, so you think about it, where, wherever people enjoy unity, there's something that, bonds them together there's there's something it's whether it's a hobby or whether it's uh, some political persuasion or or nationality or an or ideas or ideals or family uh unites all those all those different things at the broadest level we could say that 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 humanity itself is something that unifies us all and so we're all we all share that in common we're all human (laughs) But wherever, wherever you find unity, there's, there's the unifying agent. There's glue. And, and it's the glue that determines the strength of the bond. And so I'll just give an example. I, 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 I enjoy a different kind of unity with Brooke, who is my wife, than I do with my neighbors. I think you can understand that. 
Now you, again, you might question that. She's been gone for two weeks, and so but everything's fine. And this was all all planned, and uh, and so she'll be back tomorrow. Her dad had surgery. She was there for her niece's graduation. They'll return tomorrow. But but we have a we have a, a unity that's different from my neighbors. Now I love my neighbors, and, and I enjoy working for unity in our neighborhood. I I go to our neighborhood meetings. I introduce myself to new neighbors. I learn names, and I really work at that. I talk to our neighbors when they're outside, and in fact, I was going on my way to the car wash yesterday to get my van washed that desperately needed it, and I knew I was cutting it close, but a neighbor, neighbor stopped me, and so I ended up talking with them and didn't make it to the car wash. It rained anyway, but uh, so, um, but, but, uh, but we, we look out for one another, we do things together occasionally, you know, borrow tools from one another, if we need an egg, we don't want to run the store, just go next door. Okay, that's a neighbor. That's very nice. I really enjoy the unity of, of with, with my neighbors. And the glue that binds us together is neighborliness. We share that common location, common desire uh, together. But that's very different from the unity that I enjoy with Brooke. If, if you were to ask me how things were going in our marriage, and I said to you something like, oh, things are just wonderful. I, 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 I ran into her at the mailbox a couple weeks ago, and we had a 15-minute conversation. And I was out mowing the other day, and I, I ran out of gas, and, and she realized it, and she just brought a gas can over and, and loaned me some gas and said I could give it, you know, pay her later. We're, we're, we're even planning a meal together later this summer. And, and would, would you be a little concerned for our marriage if that was my answer? I think you probably would. But Why? I mean, didn't I just describe for you a relationship that's at peace? I mean, is there, is there disharmony in that relationship? Is there, is there disunity in that kind of interaction and connection? Why would you be concerned for us? Well, it's because you, you intuitively realize that there are different kinds and depths of unity. And the unity that exists between neighbors is... And the unity that exists between husband and wife, they're very different. The glue of neighborliness is different than the glue of matrimony. And, and, and they're, they're different in substance, they're different in depth, and because of that we have different ex- expectations for that bond. And so what, what in the world does all that have? There's a long introduction. It's okay, it was planned. What in the world does it have to do with Jesus' prayer for us in John 17? Well, it's obvious that Jesus prays for unity. Again, you would not, that's not rocket science. You could just at a cursory reading of, of these verses, you could say, ah, oh, he wants us to be one. But what's often overlooked is that, again, is that Jesus is praying for a particular kind of unity. Uh, um, not, just, not just oneness of any kind, but when, so when we talk about the unity that Christ wants for the church, we need to have that particular kind of unity in mind. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. And so there's two things Jesus does to, to, with an eye to, towards this unity. One, he prays for us. And that's the, the big thing. And that's where we'll spend most of our time. And then two, he makes a promise to us. In the last two verses of this section. As he's praying to the Father. So first, Jesus offers a prayer for us. In verses 20 to 24. Now, isn't that in itself extraordinary? <laughs> I mean, just think about that. 2,000 years ago, 
in, in this room with his disciples. He's talking to the Father, and he has us on his mind. And, and, he, and he pulls us, as it were, close to his heart and to his tender heart, and he talks to the Father for us. He has in mind every, every believer, everyone who would believe in him in every age. He has you and me in mind as he, as he communes with the Father and he makes with his requests. Okay, that's, that's a glorious thought. But what does, he, what does he pray for? He prays that we'll have real Christian unity, distinct, different kind, unique unity. What is that? What do we, how is that? described in this prayer. How do we see that unfold? The first thing that we'd say is it's gospel-born unity. It's gospel-born unity. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, for those 11 remaining apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so, so it's those who would believe in, in Jesus. So we, we could even say it's a unity that's centered on Christ. The glue that binds us together is Jesus. It's, it's believing in Him. And so, but we could say it like this. Real Christian unity begins with faith in Jesus, the real, authentic, true Jesus, as He's preached by the apostles. And so, real Christian, real Christian unity is for real Christians. Maybe say it simply like that. It's for people who've put their trust in Jesus Christ. It's not for those who simply go to church. not for those who've been baptized. It's not for those who live in the Bible Belt, who own a Bible. It's for those who have been drawn in, those who are drawn into real Christian unity are those who've believed in Jesus Christ, trusted in Him. And, And also, I want you to see that the Jesus we're to believe in is the Jesus of the Apostles' message. And because... Because it's easy for people to create pseudo-Jesuses. To create Jesus after our own individual or corporate imagination. And that tends to be a Jesus who does what we want him to do, who acts like we want him to act. And we create him in our likeness and the idea, and we can see many examples of this in our day. But the real, the authentic, the true Jesus is the Jesus of, that, that actually walked this earth and was sent from God is the Jesus that the apostles preached. It's the Jesus of their message. It's the Jesus that's recorded for us in the New Testament scriptures. And so Jesus says, I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their message. And so, so any kind of Christianity, any kind of real Christian unity, it's going to be rooted in that gospel. And, and that says a couple of things. One, it says that, 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 that it, what's used to bring about faith, and which ultimately brings about unity, is this word. It's a message. It's a message, and so it, it, Romans ten fourteen. we know this passage. How, how will they call upon Him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in Him in whom they have not heard, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And so He's had a beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so, so we're to be people who are active in sharing the apostolic gospel. And, and, and that's where unity begins. That's where it's born. It's this subjective and subjective reality. And so I say objective because it's, it's this given message. It's apostolic. It's, it's not from man. It's a gift from God. It's entrusted. So it's non-negotiable. It's unalterable. It's fixed in the Scriptures. This is 
the message. In that sense, it's objective, but it's also subjective in the sense that you and I have to personally trust in Jesus and the Jesus of this gospel. And have you trusted him? Is your trust in Christ? Is your hope in in Jesus alone and what he did through his death for your sins and his resurrection from the dead? Is that your hope of of eternal life? Are you hoping that you'll be good enough or that God will, uh, you know, that you're better than others, or that you've gone to church a lot in your life. Or, that's not, that's not going to cut it. We're, we're all sinners. We're all without hope, without God in this world. That's how we're born. And unless, until we put our trust in Christ alone, that's the condition we'll be in, and we'll be doomed forever. But you can trust Him today. You can, you can know this real Christian unity that Jesus is going to talk about, and it starts by putting your trust in Christ. And I exhort you to do that today. You can pray and talk to Him right now. Confess that you're a sinner. Confess that you need Christ, and He's your only hope. And you can be born again now. And so that's where, that's where it begins. I, I did that when I was 14, 15 years old. Um, and... And and so I I had grown up in church before that point. I'd been around Christians my whole life. I had, but I, but I knew nothing about real Christian unity until I trusted in Christ. And then my whole perspective on the church changed, and how I viewed people. And now I see people as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family, and this is a wonderful, beautiful thing. I've I've by God's grace I've been able to visit Christians and in, in churches in other parts of the world. And every time I go in, and we're very different, and we sound different, and we worship different, and I say, "These are my, this is my family. There's a, there's a bond here. It's, it's wonderful and glorious." But that's not, that's not possible until you trust in Christ. We can't see that, we can't sense that, we can't have that. So that's, that's the first thing. It's rooted in the gospel. Secondly, this real Christian unity. It's, it's deep. It's substantial. It's spiritual unity. And so it's not, it's not superficial. It's not external. It's not institutional. No, it's, it's much more than that. Verse 21. He says, I ask that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So he begins, though, just as, as, be one like us, as the Father and the Son love one another, are united to one another, one desire, one longing, one will. So Christian people should be one in desire and longing and will. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's not just that the father and son analogy, or father and son are simply an analogy. Like just, like, just like we get along, you guys need to get along. It's not what Jesus is praying. It's much deeper than that. Look at verse 21 again. He says, that they also may be in us. And then verse 22, that, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me. Now, I know all these pronouns, it's going to start to sound a little confusing. We'll, we'll put it all together here. Verse 26, look down to verse 26. The end of verse 26, And the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And so, Say it like this, real Christian unity involves being drawn into the circle of triune love. Being drawn into the circle of triune love. Let's read a, a, just a couple sentences from D.A. Carson on this, 
on, on, on this passage. He says our unity depends on us having been caught up into the love of the Father for the Son. And he goes on, the love with which we have, we learn to love, the love with which we learn to love is nothing, nothing less than the love amongst the persons of the Godhead. I know that's a mouthful. And I, I, let's all just take a big collective breath here because we're going to submerge for a little bit and we're going to go deep for just a few minutes. We'll come up for air and then we'll go back under. So I, I, this is a, it was a weighty, weighty passage. I mean, I, I'm, we're about done with John 17. I'm ready to start over. There's just so much here. We could spend months here. But from, this is what we see, from, from all eternity... Just get a glimpse of this. So if you don't want to take notes, don't. Just listen. From all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have lived in perfect, in this perfect circle of infinite love. Mutual love for one another. Perfect love among the triune God. Then the, then the drama of redemption began. God's rescue work and, 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 and that circle of divine love invaded this dark world that we live in. And, and the Father sent the Son out of love, not out of lack because the God needed us for something. And the Son willingly, out of love, came for us, came into our dark world. And so the circle of God's love, it broke into our dark world. And the story continued, and the Son called to Himself those apostles, those first disciples, and and they're drawn into this circle of triune love, and then the Son returned to the Father uh, after His death and resurrection and ascension, and, and He sent the Spirit to be with His disciples. And the work of men and women and children continuing to be drawn into the circle of God's love goes on. And and believers of every age are are drawn into this triune love. And so so the full reality of that is way more than my mind can comprehend. We're just trying to deal with what Jesus says here as He he prays to the Father. But but what I want you to get is this. Just if you get nothing. Christian unity is more than simply getting along with one another. I know that's that maybe at a cursory reading we think, okay, he wants us to get along. Alright. So alright, I'll be nice. It's much more than that. At its essence, it's our it's our lives being joined together in what one author has called the happy land of the Trinity. We 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 do need to get along with one another, yes, and there will be lots of exhortations throughout the New Testament, but but that's rooted in this 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 wonderful reality that our lives have become caught up in this this reality of God's triune love. And so real Christian unity comes from being drawn into that circle. That's, that's where we are positionally. It's a spiritual thing. It's a supernatural thing. It's not, it's not humanly constructed. Jesus isn't praying for simply external, organizational, institutional unity. He's not praying that we'll be able to someday engineer some kind of oneness where we, where we, you know, that, that's modeled after the Trinity. No, that's not what he's looking for. That we'll just, just be like that, but that we'll be caught up in this reality of triune God. So Christian unity is, it's given by God to every man, woman, and child who is drawn into this circle 
of God's love by faith in Christ. And so, so, so does that mean our, our, our unity is kind of theoretical, just ethereal, kind of squishy, spiritual in that wrong sense of the word? That it's just, it's not real, it's not tangible? No. That's the next point we'll see, is that, that the, the real Christian unity is visible. It's visible. Verse 22. End of, uh, well, let me, let me just state the point. Real Christian unity, it's evidence, it's visible evidence to the world that Jesus is who he says he is. Look at verse 21. I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then verse 23, I pray that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And so the logic of these verses is this. It's, it's a real Christian unity. It's, it's a miracle. It, it's, it's not a natural thing for a bunch of people like us to be united in, in forgiveness and forbearance and patience and love and in sacrificial concern for one another. That's not normal. It, it, this sort of thing just doesn't happen. The human society tends to group together by, you know, by like, like groups, by race and ethnicity. And so certain ethnicities group together with their ethnicity and others with others. And so then you're hostile towards one another or you ignore one another and we have racism. And that's normal. Or one class gathers with its own class to the neglect of the other. Or one language with its own language. Or one culture. Or one social club. Or one nation. But, but So people gather together naturally by shared self-interest. That happens easily, all the time. But what if into this world where that occurs all the time, people grouping together by this shared self-interest, what, what, uh, what, if, what if there's this group that's diverse and, and isn't just grouped together by that self-interest. There's something else. The world would look at that and say, that's odd. That's different. I mean, people should look at this church and think, what a strange group of people. They probably do that. Starting with the name, I realize that most people can't pronounce or spell. But, but what, what do they see in one another? That they would be so united in love for one another. What, what is it? That should be the response. If they look at us and think, ah, they're just another club, that's not, that's not going, going to really stand out in the world. If they think, ah, they like religious things, we like motorcycles or scrapbooking or whatever thing it is. I know scrapbooking is not much of a thing anymore. But, but if there is real Christian unity, the kind Jesus is praying for here, that men and women who would not naturally be united in fellowship and love, then the world says, what's, what's going on? We'll take notice. And that's why real Christian unity is so important. It's, it's a miracle. It's a gift of God. It's a supernatural work of God. Not humanly constructed phenomenon. Not a social experiment that we've, we've put together. Not at all. And so because of that, there's, there's just nothing, there shouldn't be anything like the church. And I, was, I realize we, we, we historically and even present, we, we struggle. We spoil this at times, don't we? Because of our own sinfulness and selfishness and selfish ambition and party spirit. and uh, we, we mess this up. But I still say, 
There's nothing to, to me on this earth in, 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 in tangible ways of, that compares to just the blessing of, of Christian fellowship and the unity we share. It's a, it's a great thing. And, and, and when that happens, the church becomes this visual aid for Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. I pray that there will be one so, so that people will recognize me for who I am. That they'll see I am who I say I am. Evidence that Jesus is who he claims to be. That's what we ought to be. That's what we ought to be and how we ought to live. The fourth, fourth aspect of this unity, that, that what makes up real Christian unity, is it's eternal unity. Eternal unity. Real Christian unity will exist forever. Forever. Verse 23, Jesus prays that believers will become perfectly one. And then in verse 24, he looks forward to that day. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may, and the, the, the grammar here indicates, constantly, cons- continually be with me where I am. I just stop there. What tenderness. This is Jesus' desire. That, that word is, this is the word for will or desire. It, it, it has the idea, this is, this is his delight and, he, and his determination. So it's, it's, it's not grudging willingness, it's his delight. He desires that those whom the Father has given him may be with him. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. There's something, something I want you to see, and it's somewhat muted in my English translation, and I should have consulted other English versions, but... But a stri- just listen to what, if you just transla- translated this in a very strict, literal way from the Greek, you could translate verse 24 like this. Something like, that which you have given me, that this, this thing, this, this that you've given me, this one unit that you've given me, I desire that where I am, also they, plural, may be constantly with me. That sounds a little awkward in English, I realize. And that's why it's not translated that way in our English Bibles, because it's not how we speak or think. But, but here's what I want you to see. Jesus says, I, Jesus loves, loves us as a unit. That which is one thing, it's one entity, it's one group. And He also loves us individually. He speaks of they, the plural pronoun. So, but the emphasis here in, 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 the, in the word order, it's on that oneness. And so this is what I mean. Heaven, heaven isn't just a, an eternal gathering place for, for all of us as individual Christians. It's not just that we're going to be, you know, one by one, we're all going to heaven and we'll just kind of be bouncing around and living together as individuals there. It is that, and yes, that's true. We're, we, we go in one at a time, we're individual, uniquely made souls. But also, and this is what Jesus emphasizes, it is, it is God's place for His redeemed people. Singular. There's, there's one people for all eternity, one group made, that's made up of individuals, yes, but that's not His emphasis. He's saying there that that which this 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 group this one people that the Father has given me who believed in me who 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 are caught up into the circle of triune love and who who demonstrate that visibly ah I want them to be with me 
And, and so that, again, that's a weighty thought. Let me add one more, and then we'll come up for air again. Remember what Jesus prayed for himself. We see Now glory enters back in here in this verse 24. But remember what he prayed for himself back in verse 5. He says this. Look, look there with me. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And we said this a few weeks ago, but i just say it again. We need to understand this isn't just some introspective prayer. That Jesus is offering. It, he, he, he's not praying, Father, I have had enough of this dark world. And uh, would you just please bring me back to the cozy, divine little club in heaven. And we can shut the doors and just kind of live together like, like the good old days. That's not, that's not what he's praying. He, he, because here's the truth. and God's love is this... And His glory, it's, it's overflowing and it's eternal and it's infinite. And so from all eternity, the Father, Son, Spirit have, have loved one another deeply and intimately. We've said this already. And it's such a love that it can't help but overflow. And, and it overflowed first in the creation of the world. And, and, and so God didn't, God didn't need to create the world. Again, it's not that He was lacking anything. He was perfectly self-sufficient from all eternity. He was lacking nothing. But out of, of this overflowing love, he, he created the world. And then it overflowed again in the redemption of, of this lost world. And that overflow continues. And so Jesus looks forward to the day when, the, when, the, when this love will overflow and, and reach its culmination, fulfillment. And every believer in every age will be drawn into that circle of love and glory for all eternity. This is, his, this is how he's praying again as he's going to be crucified the next day. And this is why he's going to the cross. This is, this is what his hope is. This is what he's looking to. This is what's drawing the Lord to Golgotha. And so Jesus prays for us. He prays for us. He prays that there will be real Christian oneness. Gospel born, deep, substantial, visible, showing up in tangible ways and it's eternal unity. And then he closes out his prayer not by making an additional petition to the Father, but by stating a promise. And so, we see this in verses 25 to 26. Jesus makes a, a promise to us that relates to this unity. And, a, and, and what I want you to see, there, there, most of what we see in these last two verses, in verse 25 to 26, it's repetition. We've seen it already in Jesus' prayer. We've explained it already. We've seen it before. But then there's this one surprise, and that's what I want us to kind of single out. So read with me, verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now there's a lot there, but I really just want to highlight and focus in on the the new part, the surprise. And it's this promise that he makes in the middle of verse 26. And so here's this promise of Christ on the eve of his crucifixion as he's talking to the Father that the work that he's been doing of making the Father known to Peter and to Andrew and to James and to, and to John and to Philip, 
of opening their eyes of their heart to see the Father, that that work that He's been doing, that work that He loves to do, that He delights to do, He promises to keep on doing. He's going to continue to make the Father known. So He promises to, to keep on making the Father known in every age which includes ours. He's been doing it for 2,000 years by His Spirit as men and, women come, men and women and children come to trust in Him. And, he, and, he, and he, made, he made no father known to me when I was in high school. He made the father known at a young, much younger age to Caroline. She shared her testimony uh, last, last Sunday. And, and, and so he, but again, what I want you to see is this. This is how it relates to unity. He doesn't make the father known to us so that we can live as individual solitary Christians forever. He makes the Father known to us that we can live together as, as one within diverse fellowships of different kinds of people who've been drawn into this circle of, of infinite triune love. That's why He's revealed the Father. That's why He's continuing to do that today. That's what gives us hope as we preach Christ. That He is, he is actively continuing to show the Father. Well, there's... I, I know we say this all the time, and it's true every time, that we've only scratched the surface in a passage like this, but it really is true here in John 17. I, uh, this is just a magnificent passage. I, I want to conclude with just a few applications, and, and then we'll sing. First one is very obvious. Let's pray for unity. Uh, let's, let's really pray for unity. Let's pray that the Lord would continue to bless us with unity in this local church and even deeper unity than we now enjoy. I'm grateful for the oneness that we do experience and have experienced as a church. It's been, it's been a great place. This has been a great church family to be part of for, uh, for us now for 15 years. And, and I'm grateful for that. But who's to say that it can't grow? That we can our, our unity, maybe, maybe it needs to grow in being a more embracing unity. Um, I, I know sometimes we think of churches that are very outreach oriented and then churches that really have strong fellowship and, and they're, they're more you know, focused on the family. I, I would say those are, not, those are not in competition. They're not in Jesus' prayer. He prays that as the Father sent me, so I send them. He sends us out on mission, but He, he prays for this unity. Those, those shouldn't be in competition with one another, but what can happen is, is we can become, it's easy to become ingrown. That's kind of the natural response. And we can, can, can um, instead of drawing others into our unity, we can close ranks and try to, you know, humanly preserve unity and manufacture it by external standards uh, and institutional kind of unity. And what in- inevitably happens is, some really, man, this church, boy, what a, what a loving, unified church we have because they're on the inside. <laughs> but if somebody is coming from the outside and is different or they're new to the church or a young believer and they, 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 they feel, this doesn't feel like a very welcoming church. I can't seem to find my way in. It's like Red Rover trying to break through the line and, and get in. And I, again, I, this is not accusing. I'm just saying that this is a tendency that, that all churches and something we all have to, to work through. And so let, let's pray for, pray for the unity of this local church. Pray for the unity of Christ's universal church. 
Again, I'm not, I'm not interested in unity that's merely institutional, like Rome. Uh, I'm not interested in unity that's merely cosmetic and superficial, like ecumenical kind of movement. But we ought to desire and pray that the Lord would bless the church with real unity, like we've been talking about here. This was on Christ's heart, and it should be on ours. Second, let's work to maintain unity. The unity that exists. And it does take work. That's the key word, work. It takes intentional effort. Just as gravity is constantly pulling my body to lie down and sleep, uh, and it will be this afternoon, though it's not an option, uh, I'll, uh, that's, what, that's, what, that's what I feel. It just, just like that, so too, sin is this constant drag, this constant threat on the unity of the church. It's just stuff in us, sin, selfishness, it's, it, it's in us. And so Paul exhorts the Ephesian church, for instance, Ephesians 4, 1-3, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Very similar language that Paul uses to the Philippians. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. But walk in a manner worthy of, uh, to which you've been called. And with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Is there an eagerness to your pursuit and maintenance of unity in the church? Or are you somewhat reluctant? That's not your focus. Or you're willing, but not really enthusiastic. No, Paul says, be eager. We're going we're gonna to have a series, not that unity is going to be you know, grown and tremendously by a sermon series, but this is part of our hope, is that we'll continue to cultivate this biblical community in our congregations, one of our initiatives with Vision 2020, we're going to have a summer series called Cultivating Community. We'll be walking through some of those passages that tell us how to relate to one another in the church. And I pray, I'm praying now that the Lord will really use this to, to, to grow us in, in unity and in, in depth of relationship, a deeper Christ-centered bond as a congregation. And so we'll be doing that in July and August, Sunday mornings. Third, two more. Let's, let us pursue unity, listen, not by neglecting doctrine, but by immersing ourselves in it. And so, so don't buy into the, okay, this is how the, Jesus, the ecumenical movement, G, Jesus unites, doctrine divides, that kind of mindset. No, our, our unity, Jesus says very explicitly, needs to be rooted in apostolic truth. So it's, it's this message, it's this word. It doesn't mean we have to agree on every point of doctrine. There, are, there will be diversity in how we understand certain points of theology on secondary matters and how we interpret different passages of Scripture. But there needs to be this shared regard for the authority of the Bible and of basic doctrine. And, and, and so, so don't think that watering down truth is going to be the answer to unity. No, it's, that's very counterproductive. That's not to say that if we just all become better theologians, then we'll be united. As Paul warns against that, he talks to the Corinthians and calls them immature. You're acting like infants, basically. That's my loose translation. Uh, you're acting like babies. And he doesn't fault them for their low Bible IQ or because they, they don't know their theology. That's not his, his point. That's not why they're immature is because they don't know enough. He says you're immature because you can't get along with one another. You can't, you can't, you can't talk. You can't, you can't even relate to one another. You, you're constantly fighting and arguing and bickering. 
So you're, you're, you're immature. You need to grow up. And so, so again, but, but the answer, we were to pursue unity, but not at the expense of truth. And then lastly, let's work towards establishing or regaining unity where it's lacking or has been lost. If we're, if, we're, if we're praying for it, again, we need to be ready and willing to work for it. And again, it's, it's, it takes effort. Yeah, but but we, we need to work. Are there areas where we need to repent? Seek forgiveness. Is there unity that's been broken? Are there relationships that are fractured in this church personally? Or is there any broader, in any broader ways, tensions that are just there and, and disunity that's been kind of harbored? We work towards understanding God's Word and what it has to say about unity, understanding one another, really listening to one another, working together towards unity. Um, that, so, so, so that's, that needs to be a resolution of ours. And, 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 and that, again, it takes effort. Just like unity in a marriage, it takes work, doesn't it? It takes work. You're constantly having to, to, to grow and, and, and move closer to one another. And, and this is how it is in the church. We, we need to constantly be drawing near to one another with the aid of God, God's Spirit to, to help us in His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we have, um, we have confidence that the, the, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There is no one more righteous than Christ. We know that everything Jesus prayed is right in line with Your will. And it, and it is answered. Um, and so even, even his praying is a promise to us. Um, and so what wonderful encouragement and hope and help that gives to us in a world that's so often fractured. And, and we see churches that are split apart and divided all the time, local churches. But I, I pray that our, 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 our hope for unity and our and our. Uh, drive to, to, to have to share this impulse that Christ has of seeing the church one. I, I, I pray that it won't just be surfacey, superficial, and just trying to kind of manufacture it on the outside, but that, that what we'll really strive after is understanding who we are in Christ, that we are we have been drawn into, into our triune God. We are in Christ and Christ is in the Father and the Father and we're in the Father and so I pray that I pray that this 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 wonderful reality would would then uh, fr- from that place and from our grasp of that it will change how we see people around us in the church and we won't just be so quick to say yeah, I'm different here I'm different there I, I don't like that I'm, I'm I'm different but we'll see we have Christ we're together we have this common confession we have this common identity. Um, this common love that we're uh, we're caught up in between Father, Son, and Spirit, and that that would would just draw us near to one another, and, and and so that it can be expressed in a visible way. That's a longer, slower path, but we, it's a better path. And so, help us, Lord, to 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 move into that. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.